is the Cloud Hub Podcast, your launchpad for Amazon Web Services. Welcome to the Cloud or Not podcast. My name is Michael. And my name is Andreas. We are two brothers focusing on AWS. Every other week, one of us prepares the topic of the podcast. This week, Andreas has prepared the topic for us, and I have no clue uh, what the topic is about. But before we start with the new topic, Andreas, do you remember what we talked about last time? Yes, absolutely, I do. Um, you talked about uh, selling software as a service products on the AWS marketplace and explained the process um, to yeah, integrate the AWS marketplace into your product. That was very interesting, I think. Okay, thank you. Um, so what's the topic of this podcast, Andreas? So I've prepared a review of Amazon Aurora Serverless, so the cloud-native relational database from AWS. And we will have a look at the details of this new service offering. It's not really that new. Uh, it has been around for more than a year now. Um, but recently, AWS announced the Postgres compatib compatibility And so that's uh, why I choose the topic uh, for today. Oh, very good. So I'm actually a user of uh, Aurora Serverless, but I use the MySQL compatible, compatible edition. So that's very cool. Um, so uh, why not get started? Yeah, so let me start with introducing uh, Amazon Aurora Serverless. So the main thing um, that is interesting and uh, different about Aurora Serverless compared to other relational database services is that it consists of two different layers. So one is the storage layer. The important thing of the storage layer is it replicates the data among multiple availability zones by default. And the storage layer also scales automatically from 10 gigabyte to uh, 64 terabytes. So you don't really have to manage the storage at all. It just scales automatically in case of throughput and also in case of the storage capacity. So both of them scale almost endlessly. Yeah, that's, that's a very big part of Aurora Serverless. It's also um, the same for Aurora. So this is the storage layer. And by the way, um, the storage layer gets replicated, as I said. It gets replicated among three availability zones, two times per availability zone. So we have six replicas of the data um, uh, when you store it with Aurora Serverless. So that's kind of impressive, I think. And then the second part, it has always been the problem uh, when building scalable systems that you build an auto-scaling group with EC2 instances or you use Fargate and the application layer scales. So that's kind of easy to achieve with AWS but it has always been a problem to also scale your database. Um, so to make sure it dynamically adapts to the workload. And this is what the second layer of our serverless is doing, the compute layer. It scales um, your database, the compute part of your database dynamically. So it scales from zero, really zero, so pausing your database uh, to um, a database machine with 64 cores and uh, around 500 gigabyte of memory. So that's the compute layer. And the important stuff here with OOR Serverless is that you don't have to scale the compute layer yourself. It works automatically out of the box. So it's, you could say, it's auto-scaling for the compute layer 
of your database as well. And that's, I think, an absolute game changer. Um, Andreas, do you know what kind of metrics AWS uses for scaling? So how do, the, how, do the, how, do, how do they detect if they have to scale up or scale down? Yes, so if I remember it correctly, I have read or watched a video where someone said that they scale based on CPU load and number of database connections at the moment. Okay, and yeah, so this is uh, Aurora Serverless. So I think the yeah the interesting part is that the compute layer scales automatically. Before that, with uh, RDS and also RDS Aurora, we had to select an instance type, and this was uh, then indicating the size of the compute layer. And now with Aurora Serverless, this scales uh, automatically as well. So this is yeah quite interesting, and maybe two two hints. Um, so one is, um, if you are interested in more details about how the storage layer and the database works, uh, we are linking an article from Werner Vogel, CTO of Amazon. The, he has written up uh, what's behind that. And we're also linking um, a very interesting talk from AWS reInvent last uh, year uh, to get more information about that. So Andreas, how does the scaling of the compute layer actually work? So do I have multiple kind of instances, a cluster uh, of Aurora, or how does it work? N not really. So at the moment, at least, and so that's what, what is implemented right now, is um, the compute layer scales vertically. So they're actually scaling the size of the database instance. And what Aurora Serverless is doing is they, they have put uh, quite a lot of effort into making that scaling happen without Uh, any effect on your workloads. So they pre-warm the instance, they're switching over with a proxy, um, um, and that's that's kind of what um, Aurora Serverless is doing. So it not, does not scale horizontally, it does not add read replicas or something like that. Um, it just scales the database instance vertically, automatically. Okay, so if I understand you correctly, then this also means that I have Like in terms of high availability, I have only a single instance. So the storage laser layer uh, is replicated across multiple ACs, but the compute layer isn't. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. So that's one of the downsides of Aurora Serverless at the moment. So AWS calls it single AZ with multi AZ failover. <laughs> so what that means is, yeah, you have one instance running uh, at a time um, and As you said, the storage layer is replicated uh, among availability zones. But in case of an outage, so uh, the instance or even the whole availability zones, uh, Aurora Serverless needs to spin up a new machine, a new instance, and it does that automatically. But it takes some time until the new machine can take over. And you might even run into capacity problems in case of a uh, availability zone outage, for example. Okay, I see. So you mentioned that you can scale down the compute layer to zero. Can you go into more details here? Yes. So that is what Aurora Serverless is call, uh, calling pausing the database. So um, there are applications um, that do not get any traffic or any workloads at all during uh, times of, uh, of a day. So which means in that case with Aurora Serverless, you can really turn off the database. So the storage, of course, stays online all the time. Your data is stored. But you're pausing 
um, the compute layer of the database. So which uh, is a really big cost, has a really big cost effect uh, because you don't pay for resources that you're not using. So um, that is, uh, you can use, you can enable pausing uh, Aurora serverless databases, which means then the database scales to zero. By default, it scales to zero after five minutes without any database queries, database uh, statements coming in. Um, and then you're asking probably, uh, how does it uh, resume the database? So if it pauses, what happens if the next mm -hmm. request comes in? So let's say someone goes to your web application and wants to log in. Um, what happens then is um, Aurora Serverless is automatically resuming the database. Uh, so the data re request comes in um, uh, on a proxy layer, and then they turn on the database. And this takes some time. It takes seconds. So, so from my experience, it's something about 15 seconds. Um, I've also uh, will link uh, a link to a blog post from Peter. He has actually measured the activation time more accurately, and his results is it takes around something from 20 seconds, but sometimes it takes even longer than that. So you have to deal with that. So the first request that comes in um, has uh, a huge latency. That's the downside uh, of pausing the database. Yes, I can also confirm this. Um, so 50 seconds is, is pretty fast. So because I'm using Aurora Serverless in a project and we also pause the database because the application is not used by many users and it's an internal application. And I see, uh, so sometimes we have a timeout on the load balancer. I think it's 30 seconds and sometimes uh, it, it, it's not fast enough to start within 30 seconds. So the query basically times out. Um, so yeah, 15 seconds is pretty good, but but it is also possible to be more than 30 seconds in in the or in the situations that I observed. Uh, okay. Yeah. So this is this might be a showstopper if you have an application that is customer facing, for example, and uh, I don't know you're losing a, a, a sale when your website does not respond uh, in a certain amount of time. Um, but I think still pausing the database is valid for yeah, internal applications, testing environments, stuff like that. And yeah, yeah, depending on your workload, you can achieve uh, huge costs effects um, by just turning down uh, the compute layer of your database. Um, okay, so if I understand you correctly, then your recommendation is to enable pausing for internal applications and maybe test environments. But in most production environments, you would not turn it on. Yeah, it depends on the depends on the business impact um, that this latency has. So I think it's um, something you have to evaluate and uh, make a decision based on the current workload that you're thinking about. I think there is no easy answer probably to this. Okay, I see. So you already mentioned that is um, by pausing the database we can save money. So can you dive a little bit deeper into what kind of costs are associated with using Aurora Serverless? So what's the pricing model? Yeah. So I will not talk about um, pricing of the storage. So the storage, you have to pay for the storage that you use with Aurora. So this is one part uh, that you need to pay for. The more interesting part with Aurora Serverless is uh, what you need to pay for the compute layer of your database. And this is uh, what I think is interesting here. And um, I made a comparison between Aurora, let's call it Aurora Classic, so without the serverless part where you need to provision the database instance type, 
and Aurora Serverless. And uh, if you do that, um, you could say roundabout, you pay 50% more uh, when using Aurora Serverless compared to Aurora Classic um, with the assumption that your workload runs 24-7 with uh, a constant uh, workload. Yeah, so... Mm -hmm. There's a there's a surcharge for using Aurora Serverless with about 50% on the compute layer compared to Aurora Classic. So this is quite a lot. <laughs> Actually, I I don't know. I I can't think of a really reason why um, AWS charges 50% more for the compute layer here. I don't I don't I can't imagine that there is really um, infrastructure involved um, that justifies this surcharge but yeah let's let's see maybe we see cost reductions in the future and um so you could say okay wow that's that's a big um and that's a big surcharge uh, on the aurora pricing so is it still uh, valid to use aurora serverless and yeah the, the answer to that is it is it depends heavily on your workload so um the question is how how steady or how unsteady is your workload and are there times during a day where you can really scale down or even pause your database and if you're able to do so then there's huge uh, cost effects of course so let's i have come up with a very simple example so let's think about an application that is only used uh, on working days from nine to five so yeah business application let's say the accounting application uh, where your employees enter uh, their transactions so in in this case you can either or totally or almost turn down the uh, the database the compute part of the database um, outside the time frame from nine to five on working days yeah? and let's compare that uh, to aurora so with aurora you have to run the compute layer 24 7 so so if I do that comparison, so compare Aurora Classic that runs 24-7 with Aurora Serverless that only runs eight hours for about 20 days per month, um, then you only per pay a third of the compute layer costs when using Aurora Serverless. Yeah. So yeah, what, what it comes to, it, it really depends on your workload. Mm -hmm. um, is it unsteady? Do you have times during the day where there is no database usage at all? And you have to calculate that or at least make an estimation before switching from Aurora to Aurora Serverless. Um, because you might see big cost effects. Uh, uh, you might have cost reductions or you might even pay much more <laughs> than what you did before, depending on your workload. Okay, I see. Um, okay, so uh, what else is important? Um, so you mentioned or we discovered that there's only a single instance running so what does this exactly mean and also how does this affect uh, the sla that rds provides yes yeah, so, so we already discussed that uh, it's single aset with multi-aset failover so the database should be able to recover from uh, availability zone outages um, with a certain amount of time that is not specified um but there's one important thing. So there is uh, AWS guarantees an SLA for Aurora, um, but this does only apply to clusters uh, that are run in multi-ASAT mode, so that have at least two instances running in different availability zones. And as Aurora Serverless is only running a single instance, Aurora Serverless is not covered by any SLA at the moment. 
So that's important to know when you think about using Aurora Serverless in production. Uh, usage is not covered by any SLA from AWS at the moment. Okay, um, and um, I can also imagine because with with Aurora you can have read replicas, and I think if I compare the the maximum size of Aurora Serverless, that also seems to be the maximum size of a single instance in Aurora. So I can achieve much higher. Uh, read query rates with Aurora serverless because of the replicas. So if I have really high or like high volume workloads, then Aurora serverless might uh, hit the limit much much earlier than than I could achieve with Aurora using read replicas. Is that correct? Yes. So with Aurora serverless, we don't have replication at the moment. So we don't have any read replicas, which is a huge benefit of Aurora Classic actually. Um, so at the moment, um, you can only scale one instance vertically. So that's all that Aurora Serverless can do. There are no read replicas, so you cannot distribute incoming read requests among a fleet of database instances. So that limits the scaling cap uh, capability of Aurora Serverless. Okay, I see. So, okay, so uh, I don't have any, have any questions at the moment. So what, what, what's, what else is important? Let's continue. So we discussed uh, some downsides of using Aurora Serverless. And let's talk about um, two um, things that are really great when using Aurora Serverless. So one thing, um, the listeners probably <laughs> remember us complaining about clumsy security defaults uh, within the last episodes. So for example, with EC2 Instance Connect. Um, that is not true for Aurora Serverless. So the defaults uh, from a security perspective are really great. So let, let me give you two examples. So for example, there is no way to configure a public IP address for Aurora Serverless. So you, you cannot, <laughs> there's no way you can um, make your database publicly accessible from the internet, which is uh, a very bad practice from a security point of view. So there's no way to do it. I think that's really great. Because both of us, <laughs> we have seen customers doing that, yeah, bringing their databases uh, um, accessible uh, from the internet. And I think that's that's not a good practice. So it's not possible with OWA serverless. So a very good uh, default from a security point of view. And the other um, default that you can also not change is Aurora Serverless is always encrypting data addressed uh, with a key from KMS by default. So you cannot change that behavior as well. So it's encryption addressed um, that you cannot uh, change. So encrypt everything um, that you store. Um, I have bad news for you, Andreas, because I already saw a, a client um, exposing Aurora Serverless to the internet because there are MySQL proxies available, so they basically put a MySQL proxy in front of Aurora Serverless, so it was again possible to access it from the internet. <laughs> sure, you can build you can build your own ways, <laughs> but but it's at least not uh, possible um, with what AWS brings. Yeah. Okay, so what is the other great feature that you uh, kind of um, uh, talked about? Yeah, so um, the other interesting feature is uh, Aurora Serverless, and this is only true for Aurora Serverless, uh, not for Aurora Classic, is offering a RESTful API for interacting with the database, so sending SQL queries to the database over a RESTful API. So that's very interesting. And um, why is that interesting? So it's interesting for serverless applications. Because with serverless applications, we always have trouble 
um, managing a pool of database connections because with AWS Lambda and other services, we are uh, in a world where we don't have long-running processes. They get terminated and uh, yeah, it gets really clumsy to manage long-living database connections. And it's typically quite expensive to open new database connections. So this is... Um, because of that, it's a very good news that we now have a REST API that we can actually use to talk to our uh, relational database that has not been possible before. Okay, that sounds great. Um, and I, I think it, it also kind of is related to the um, announcement. So at, at the last reInvent, AWS announced that they will improve the uh, Lambda startup performance in VPCs. Um, which was a big problem before as well. So it it takes like 10 seconds for a Lambda function to start up in a VPC to connect to the database. And now I think this week or last week, they actually announced that they are now rolling out this optimization to the, to the Lambda functions that are existing. So is this something that you, or do you consider this as an alternative to the data API or what do you think? Is the data API still a valid, thing to use or what's your opinion here yeah you're absolutely right so um the vpc integration of aws lambda improved a lot uh, last week so it's not um needed to have a single elastic network interface for each lambda instance now um but still i think um managing database connections uh, in your lambda functions um uh, yeah it is a hassle and so i think it's interesting to have a restful api which is much more um yeah which which um which fits much better the approach uh, that a serverless application uh, is working on so i think it's still um a very interesting feature um maybe two important maybe two important uh, limitations of the data api so it only works for mysql aurora and it's only available in uh, a few regions. So it's not uh, supported in all Aurora serverless regions at the moment. Okay. So what I also like about the data API is that it's available in the in the graphical, like in the management console. And I, I can imagine that they are able now to create like an experience like with DynamoDB that you can like in the management console, you can see the tables and the content of the tables because working with RDSs at the moment, it's... It's more difficult than it than it than it could and should be because you always have to connect to the database and then you need passion host and whatever. So it, it's really complicated to get access to the database to just look at the data. So that's also something that I'm 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 looking forward to what what they can now do with this functionality to improve the usability here for just looking at the data and to see what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. So. We talked a lot about features that exist and um, is there something that is missing? So what are your kind of, so when you're using Aurora serverless, what's, what's missing? Okay. So yeah, we, we talked about the biggest feature that is missing and this is uh, support of replicas. So we talked about that this is important for um, reliability, for being able to do a hot standby and failover. And it also um, limits the uh, capabilities to scale your database with read replicas. So, yeah, this is, I think, the, the biggest limitation at the moment that uh, Aurora does not support replication. And a few others. Um, Aurora Serverless does not support 
um, loading or storing data from or to S3. So I wanted to use that feature to actually import uh, a database, so to migrate from another database uh, system to Aurora Serverless. And unfortunately, you cannot use um, S3 to, um, yeah, to ship the data from your old database to Aurora Serverless. That's a feature that is available in Aurora Classic. So that is missing. Um, another feature um, that is missing, an important feature, is a point-in-time point recovery, uh, which is called Backtrack with Aurora Classic. It's not available for Aurora Serverless. Uh, we don't have support for multi-master clusters uh, with Aurora Serverless, also a feature that is available with Aurora Classic, uh, so that you can use to have two clusters and synchronize the data between uh, both of these clusters. And maybe another one um, that is interesting and missing is uh, RDS Performance Insights is also not available for uh, Aurora Serverless. And there is even more <laughs> that is missing. So depending on what you're trying to achieve with Aurora, um, we put a link in the show notes uh, that points you to the limitations of Aurora Serverless in the AWS documentation. A few other things are missing as well. Okay. So we talked a lot about Aurora Serverless now. So is there a uh, a way for the, the listeners to, like if they are interested in the details, so where can they find uh, all this information? Um, so we will, we will put a link to a blog post um, that covers the same topic uh, than this podcast episode in the show notes. So you can reread through almost everything that we have uh, discussed in this podcast episode. Um, so that's uh, what we always do. There's always a, a blog post uh, for each podcast episode as well. We'll find all the information, all the links and everything as well. Uh, so just go to the show notes. We'll find all the links in there. Okay, cool. So at the beginning, you said that this is going to be a review of Aurora Serverless. And if I remember correctly, I started reviewing AWS Backup and we kind of came up with this uh, service maturity table where we try to calculate a score for each service um, to get an idea how mature it is. Is this something that you created for Aurora Serverless as well, Andreas? Sure, I did. <laughs> that's the that's the funniest thing to do. Yes, that that's also like a, where we get a lot of feedback from people. So that's that seems to help people to understand how mature the service is. So that's that's pretty cool. So are you or can we or do you want to introduce your so your maturity uh, table for us? I do. So um, our service maturity table has um, uh, nine different criteria. And uh, each criteria is evaluated with a score, uh, which goes from zero, uh, which is really not mature, to 10, which is this is a very mature service that you can use in production without any uh, limitations. So the first criteria is feature completeness. Um, I rated that with a two because I think there are many important features missing, most of, the, uh, most of all uh, replication. Uh, Aurora Serverless supports tags uh, for grouping and billing, so this is a 10. Uh, also, CloudFormation Terraform support is available, so the score here is also a 10. CloudWatch events check uh, a 10 as well. Um, IAM granu granularity, so the possibility to define IAM policies uh, with tags, resource restriction, and so on. So it's al almost perfect 
So I rated it with a nine. There's one small limitation um, with the data API where you cannot really limit to certain clusters. Um, yeah, that's that's a very small um, piece that is missing. So there's no AWS config support. So if you do uh, governance and validation of your AWS infrastructure, that is missing. CloudTrail is available. Um, availability in regions. So OAuth Serverless is available in many regions, but not in all of them. So I rated that with an eight. And then a big uh, a big problem. There is no SLA. Uh, for Aurora Serverless, so this gets a zero score. And then um, to, when you summarize all of that, the total maturity score uh, for Aurora Serverless is 6.6. Uh, um, so uh, this is what we uh, calculate as the maturity score of um, AWS Serverless. Okay, and 6.6 is not bad, so that probably means that you cannot kind of or your summary is that that you can actually use Aurora Serverless, uh, and there there will be some problems, mostly with the the replicas. But but besides that, it's 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 a good option. Yes, so we are already using it in production, as you mentioned. So we have um, applications that are using it already. Um, but I think there are uh, important um, limitations that you need to think about before um, bringing that into an architecture. Uh, so I think yeah. That's true. You can use it. It's it's production ready. Um, but um, keep in mind the limitations that we discussed. So the most important, the replication. So um, problem with um, there's no SLA and you don't have any read replicas. Uh, otherwise, I think our service is really an exciting service, especially if you have an unsteady workload where you can really scale down your database during significant time spans uh, of a month. Um, because this has really big cost effects then. And this is something you cannot achieve easily with any other uh, database offering on AWS and also other cloud providers. Yeah, so um, that's the summary uh, and the review uh, of Aurora Serverless. And if you want to see Aurora Serverless in action, um, you might want to check out our book, Rapid Docker on AWS, because the architecture that we discuss in this book makes use of Aurora Serverless. So if you want to see code examples, uh, cloud formation examples, and so on for Aurora Serverless, check out Rapid Docker on AWS. You will find uh, a link to that in the show notes as well. And it allows you to spin up a web application based on ECS, Fargate, and Aurora Serverless within a few minutes. Okay, thank you very much, Andreas, for your uh, very detailed review. So this was very interesting as well. Uh, or this was very interesting for me. Um, I'm, I'm already a user of the service, but but I still learned something because, to be honest, I didn't know that it is a single instance kind of deployment. So that was new for me. Uh, very interesting. Yeah, so let's, let's close this episode uh, with asking you, our listeners, for feedback. So please send us your feedback um, on this podcast episode. You can do that uh, via Twitter. So you'll find our Twitter handles in the show notes. Send us an email hello at cloudonout.io or um, just review this podcast uh, in your favorite uh, podcast player. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you very much for listening and thank you very much, Andreas, for uh, preparing the topic. Bye, speak to you soon. <laughs>